0: Welcome back to Grace Point Go, Grace Point's podcast where you can listen to conversations and interviews and devotionals all on the go. Today we are continuing in a series we've been doing here in the second half of season three of devotionals from the book of Psalms. Today Jared is doing a devotional from Psalms 1, which has a lot in common with the portion of Philippians that he'll be preaching from this Sunday. A lot to do with sanctification and our process of becoming more like jesus the longer we follow him we thank you so much for listening today we hope you enjoy hello and welcome again to this uh, episode we are uh, so excited to have these opportunities together uh, to share and for our time today we're going to be taking a look at um, just a a bit of a devotional reflection uh, in the psalms and specifically looking at psalm chapter one uh my, my, my thoughts uh, are around this chapter today. One, it is definitely one of my favorite psalms uh, in the collection. Um, and I, I just I think there's a very powerful uh, contrast that is presented that is good for us to reflect on and think about uh, as believers. Uh, it's one of those chapters I feel like I can read all the time uh, every day and I'm just gleaning something from it. Um, on, on an, another piece to this though, is also the ongoing study that we're doing as a church looking through the New Testament book of Philippians. And, um, of course, depending on when you might be listening to this podcast, but in the coming Sunday, um, we are going to be in Philippians chapter two. And in that particular text, verses 12 to 18, the apostle Paul, um, is speaking to this church in matters of salvation and really an outworking of that salvation. Um, he, he is taking this church and we saw this on Easter Sunday, but in verses five through 11, there is this wonderful presentation of Christ, just this grand and majestic view of Christ in who he, uh, is what what he has done for us um in his humility and obedience even to the point of death the text says um you know dying for us being a a perfect sacrifice for sin god's wrath poured out on him in our place and then it says in verse 9 for that reason for his humble willing obedience to the will of the father god bestows on him exalts him By giving him a name that's above every name, that every everyone in heaven and on earth and even under the earth are going to bow and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. All right, so there's this grand, majestic view of Christ. But what's so relevant, and this connects us now quickly to Psalm chapter one, but just what's relevant is that then Paul, kind of ascending to this mountaintop view of Christ, takes that and very practically says hey as a result of this clear work of god and what he's done for you in your life like live in a way that honors that um like let your life be a willing display um do what is necessary to cultivate and 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 display the fruit of Christ's righteousness in your life. Yes, He has saved you, but your your life in Christ, your faith in Christ, is so much more. There's so much to celebrate um, in this salvation. Not only do you have access now to God, and you have this um, this this barrier that was between you and God has been removed by the blood of Christ, but but now you are being worked on. Like God is working in you, he says in verse 13. He's working in you to accomplish his purposes. Um, and and so there's something beautiful in that. Um, it, it's why Paul says earlier in chapter 1, verse 27, to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So let your life be, be a testimony showing the fruit of, of the righteousness of Christ that is now yours, um, and 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 so, like, be unashamed, like unapologetically live your life in such a way that people see that God has done something in you, because that that glorifies God, um, it it magnifies and makes much of His power and His beauty, His grace and mercy um and, and so this connects us to psalm 1 because in psalm chapter 1 there is this stark contrast that is presented the contrast is the righteous and the wicked it it is this kind of dividing line between those who are living for the things of god and for those who are not This contrast is also presented, again, in the text of Philippians, where I am thinking as far as sermon preparation goes, where Paul says, look, prove yourselves to be children of God, that that are blameless and and pure, that you're not defiled or mixed within a world that he says is crooked and perverse, um, out of alignment and living contrary to the things of God. And in doing that, Paul says, you stand out among that darkness like shining stars, right? So there again is a strong and yet beautiful contrast. Um, And this is where we find something similar in Psalm 1. How blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So what you have here, and, and there's more to be said in this chapter, but what you have here within this contrast is, is really uh, a, a type of action where, um, again, this kind of goes back to the responsibility we have in our life to live a certain way. Um, what are we going to live our lives to? What are we going to conform our lives to? The, their contrast is clear. Now, think about how subtle um, and yet how impactful one option is. When we look at verse 1, there is a person who is blessed, who is, who is glad and happy, the nature of the word, um, because their life is at peace due to the work that God has done in their life. Now, why is that the case? It's because of what they're not doing. Now, but, but look, at, look at the subtle influence of, of what one is living by, but just how easy we can fall into the trappings of, in this case, the world. What, what Paul refers to as this crooked and perverse generation. Right? He says, one is happy, one is gladly set apart and experiencing the, the, the whole peace of God in life, when they're not walking in the counsel of the wicked, well, just think about the physical aspect that's going on there, right? Like we walk in our daily life, and there's a relative harmlessness to that. We we are by, 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 you know, we we are people who live in the world. We're called according to God's word not to be of the world, but we live in it, and so we are frequently and, and daily and always walking among this world. Um. And when we're walking, um, it notice notice that the the kind of movement, right? And that's what I want to highlight here. Happy is one who's not walking in the council of the wicked. So in other words, we're not we're kind of not meandering around, showing a temperament or attitude of curiosity, by which we're sort of thinking, well, what's going on, and why do people have this particular viewpoint? And I'm going to give time, a kind of audience to that way of thinking, that could very much be an outworking of rebellion against the will of God. Um, And so, you know, happy is the one who's not choosing to meander and stroll among the company of those who it says are of the wicked, who are thinking and doing things that are adamantly and directly against the will of God. But then look at this idea of movement. He says there in the middle of verse 1, but also is the one who's blessed, who's not standing in the path of sinners. So the, the subtle influence that can happen in our life is the innocence of curiosity, where we start to meander and enter into spaces where we think, what's going on there? Why are they thinking differently? I might even be attracted to some of the things they're thinking and saying. And we begin to detach ourselves from the grounding of the Word of God, and we begin to feel a movement towards uh, the the influences of different ideologies, different philosophies, and the ways uh, of the world. But then it says, the one who's blessed is the one who's not standing in the path of sinners. So then, what you have is this course of movement. So you've gone from meandering to now you're not you're not flowing in and out. You've just you're staying in one place. You're standing. Now you're completely taking in a particular kind of narrative uh, that is against the things of God. But then it says the idea of sit. So so you've gone from meandering to now you're lingering by the idea of standing, but now you're sitting, now you're taking residence and firmly planting yourself in a way that is, in this context, against the things of God. So, so one is blessed when they're not putting themselves in a way of posture that invites the opportunity to be influenced by or led away from the clear and authoritative word of God. And, and so we have to we have to be careful as Christians. Um, we, we have to be careful that as we live in this world, that we recognize that ultimately our citizenship is in heaven. And that as citizens, we've been called and set apart by the, the work of God. Uh, accomplished through the righteousness of Christ that was poured out for us on the cross. And so we have to live in a manner that is worthy and honoring. Uh, Paul even says in Philippians 2 verse 12 that is full of fear and trembling, that, that there is a reverential awe to the work that God has done in our life, and we showcase that in our life by the way in which we walk and stand and sit with him. Not with the things of the world. And that's where that contrast is presented. The world is going to continually overwhelm us with various temptations and ideas that are contrary to the Word of God. And we as believers have to be disciplined that while we are a part of the world and we have to be ambassadors to the world, right, and represent Christ well to the world, we have to make sure that in terms of posturing, Where we walk, where we linger, and where we sit is in the counsel of the righteous, which comes first and foremost from a grounding in the word of God, and then making sure that the company that we um, find equipping and encouraging in is also like-minded in that same pursuit, so that we're not led astray, or in the case of Paul's concern to the church in Philippi, that they don't lose the effectiveness of their ministry, right? Paul's concern in Philippians was that the the nature of their joy was going to be directly related to the fact that they were going to have an impact against a generation or a culture that was clearly living against the things of God. But again, that joy and that sense of blessing came not from an act of participation in those things that were wrong or against the will of God but the things that were related to the will of God and the things that were according to his good pleasure and and what ends up and this is why in verse 2 of Psalm chapter 1 <clears throat> the author says the one who's blessed is delighting in the law of the Lord All right so this is what i mean by walking lingering and sitting that the foundation, the substance of where we put ourselves, has to be in the revelation of God, um, and therefore we are meditating day and night. So th- there again is this idea of frequency. W- where are we, quote unquote, walking? Where we are, where are we investing our energies? And then in that case, where where are we planting ourselves? It's in God's word, and then there's this beautiful imagery. Verse three says, when you're doing that when you're when you're prioritizing and putting yourself in the right place before the Word of God, surrounded by not the counsel of the wicked but by the the church of the firstborn, the righteous Hebrews chapter twelve, right, and we're fixed on Mount Zion and you know, and we're surrounding ourselves paul Paul says, like in first Corinthians that bad company corrupts good character like when we're surrounding ourselves in the right place, it enables us to have an effectiveness in the world. So I'm not advocating, nor does the Word of God advocate for some kind of barricade by which we as Christians and in the church like hide ourselves away from the world. Not at all. We're, we're, to, be, we're to be like salt. We're, we're to be like light, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. So we are to have an active ministry. But in doing that, The way that we are equipped and resourced and encouraged is by putting ourselves in the right situation. And the one who's going to be blessed and happy is not the one who goes on their own and becomes swallowed up by wrong patterns and habits that get immersed into the world, but by the right patterns and habits that fill them full of the Spirit of God, which comes from His Word, and of good company, which is primarily in the church. And this will be, verse 3, like this person who does that will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. There, there's, a, a, there's a place of life that is brought by the Word of God. And, and spending time in a revelation that is always pointing us to Christ. That's why Jesus said in John 4 to the woman at the well that, you know, the things of the world... Are like this water in a well. You're going to have to keep going back to it, and it's never going to satisfy, and it's ultimately going to cause you ruin. You're going to die in this water. But you come to me, of which there is no end to this living water, Jesus says. And it's going to, this this water, Psalm 1 verse 3, is going to nourish the roots of of a tree that has been firmly planted, which draws my attention even now to Colossians chapter 2, where it says in verse 6, 6, and 7, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Because of what God's done for you, live accordingly. Right? Live accordingly. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. As such, having been firmly rooted. And now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. You hear that word overflowing. It's similar to Psalm 1, verse 3, that a tree that is firmly planted by water, right? There's that imagery of the, of our roots growing deep and strong because they're in Christ. It's going to be, you're going to yield its fruit in its season. This idea of overflowing Its leaf is not going to wither. You're not going to grow disheartened and discouraged and weary. And whatever he does, he prospers. Now, that's not relating to an idea of finances like we sometimes falsely assume. It's the success of living for the Lord. It's why Paul, even though he was in prison, could rejoice at the progress and the success of the gospel that was yielding its fruit in the faith of the church. The prospering was the effectiveness of living for the pleasure of God. But he says the wicked are not so. Those who are living for themselves, those who are living selfishly, who are alienated against God, hostile to the things of God, and therefore formulate things related to this world that are ultimately for the pleasure of self. The wicked are not so; they are like chaff which the wind drives away. You know, like a dried-up piece of vegetation that just has no—it's no hold. There's no grip. There's no deep root in the soil, and it's dead. It's 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 apart from Christ. Ephesians two one: We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Um. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Because what are they rooted to? What are they grounded in? You know, what are they investing their time in? What, what, are, what are their thoughts and their activities holding tight to? Is it is it money? Is it power or prestige and popularity? I mean, what is it? Because all of these things, First Peter 1 tells us, are going to be burned up and consumed. Nothing remains. Everything's going to be refined by a fire. <clears throat> the wicked will not stand in the judgment. You who believe in Christ will stand in the judgment because you're anchored to Hebrews chapter 2. You're anchored to, you're rooted in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. You are saved by the work of Christ. That's why you will stand in the judgment and the wicked will not. The difference is Jesus. Jesus. Therefore, they will not sit in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this is a, a powerful, vivid contrast. One that makes clear um, the the value, the gift, the source of life in Christ. And more importantly, one that makes clear the outworking of our lives when living for Christ. You know, it's not just enough that we treat our salvation as this get-out-of-hell-free card, which so many tragically do in the kind of broader evangelical world. Um, You know, so many people have kind of grown up with this notion that my relationship with Jesus is this personal relationship, and I was saved um, at a certain age, you know, my sins are forgiven. Now I'm good. I am gonna. I know where I'm going to go when I die. And that's all great. You know, I'm not minimizing that or discouraging that. It's an absolutely wonderful thing to be able to celebrate and have a particular kind of confidence that says my sins are forgiven. And I know that not even death has has mastery or power over me. But as Christ lives, so do I. What I do think we need to have a healthy challenge in over our lives is this place of sanctification. You know, salvation in the Bible is really three parts. There's justification, which simply means we are justified, right? We we are declared right or righteous, not because of what we have done. Like, we don't earn our justification. There's nothing that we can do by which we then approach God and God looks at us and says, oh, now you're good. We are justified by the incredible mercy and grace of God, right? By grace, we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, Ephesians 2.8, or even Colossians 1.13. He rescued us from the domain of darkness as it was God who rescued the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt. It certainly wasn't their doing. They were slaves, right? They, there was no way they were going to overcome the, the, the largest, most powerful empire of the world at that time. It was the work of God. So Christ has rescued us and has transferred us spiritually from a world of, of slavery to sin, Right? our spiritual Egypt, and has brought us to a promised land, an inheritance in heaven that will not fade away. Or Titus 3.5, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. That's justification. It is a clear work of God. For it is God who is at work in us, Philippians 2.13. That is our salvation. But what we often miss um, is work out your salvation with fear and trembling, this idea of sanctification. Now, that's that's not a works-based thing. It doesn't say work for your salvation or work to keep your salvation. Your salvation, you are justified by God in Christ. Okay, That other component to salvation is what happens— now that we are saved, you know, the remainder of our life, the time left that we have here on earth, as we look forward to our future hope and glory, this is our sanctification. The Bible talks about it as being made more into the likeness of Christ. And as, as that natural part of, of ourself and our heart's orientation dies and is given life by the Spirit of God, our will, our passions, our desires, our activities, all of those things in time continue to grow more and more into conformity with Christ so that who we are and what we are becomes more and more like him. That's sanctification. It's working out, being set apart in Christ. And then the final part of salvation in the scriptures is glorification. And and this is when we receive everything that we were meant to be. Right? That, that sin is completely gone. We're certainly justified and forgiven in our sin, but the effects of it, the, 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 the corrupting influence of it in our, our lives, our bodies, the world around us is completely removed and we are glorified and, and eternally set free and made truly like Christ. And that is going to be a glorious day. Um, that we are going to enjoy with him. But it's all a work of God, and we trust him for it. But my point in that is to say that as the church, I think we just sometimes need to realize that in this place of sanctification, our faith journey is not over simply because we said a prayer or we have, in our confession of sin, professed faith in Jesus Christ. But in, in our Christian faith, we are to continue to live in humble obedience um, conforming our lives to the Word of God, and that takes work. There's an energy that's applied to that, an effort that is applied to that, an effort that requires us that we renounce sin and we, we walk away from the influences of a fallen world and we walk to and we cultivate the things of Christ so that the outworking of that not only makes us more like Christ, but we shine like stars, in this dark world, and people will, by our lives, see the beauty of the revelation of God and hopefully in turn come to know that truth in their life as well. So um, the Christian life is a gift, and it's a worthy and noble effort to continue to live each and every day for Christ, especially when we consider everything that he has done for us. Well, uh, may you be blessed uh, in your sanctification blessed as you return regularly uh, to the word of god for encouragement and refinement for exhortation um and that in that word the bible you will appropriately be disciplined in your heart and in your spirit um to not only share the desires of god but become more like him by the very spirit of god so god bless you thanks for listening this time and i hope to see you again um Have a great time. Great day.